Aqua lads and aqua lasses, welcome back to the latest show on the Aqua K podcast feed. It is, of course, Starman, the continuing journeys, if you will. We're still in negative two star-ranked matches, according to Dave Meltzer, and this is part seven. Lucky number seven, I guess you could say. If it's your first time, real quick up top, we review or rewatch. Dave Meltzer's worst reviewed matches of all time. We've got a list. There's a lot of negative two matches, hence part seven. We take the matches to court. After watching them, we present evidence that we gathered during the case to you, the humble listener. And at the end of the evidence portion, we render a verdict. The match is either guilty or not guilty of Dave's ranking. We are going to be straight smack dab in the middle of the 90s this episode for an all-WCW show. Lucky us, indeed. Let's go ahead and get started with Clash of the Champions 31. That's three X's and an I, so almost a porn, but not quite. It's August 6th, 1995. Just mere weeks after Baywatch presents WCW Bash at the Beach in front of 100,000 people. My God, I bet some germs were spread at that one. Sting has recently defended the United States Championship title successfully against Ming. And Road Warrior Hawk is years away from his battle with a demon in a bottle. Meanwhile, Colonel Rob Parker appears to be on a quest to follow in the footsteps of his ancestors. Like those who came before him, he has embarked on a worldwide tour to seek out men that he can purchase to do his bidding. Ming was first, but now he's traveled even further east and has found Kurosawa. At the Bash of the Beach, Road Warrior Hawk protected Sting from a post-match assault And now we're here at the Clash of the Champions. It's the first match of the evening on the card, so I got to see the intro video for the Clash, and it was scored to a sub-great-value version of Money for Nothing and the Chicks for Free. It makes Weird Al Yankovic's Ballad of Jed Clampett seem like poetry in retrospect. I want my, I want my... I want my Beverly, 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 Beverly Hillbilly. But the video concludes, and Michael Buffer lets us know that it's time for the very special WCW Tag Team Match. I swear to God, that's what he says. He also has one ear pierced, which which is totally fine. Alright, I, I rocked the double ear piercing myself as a ute, but... It, it seems off-brand for the Buffster and kind of stands out, but whatever. The world-famous Colonel Rob Parker, as previously mentioned, escorts his property, yuck, Ming, and Kurosawa. No relation to Devin, by the way, I checked. Uh, and you know, Kurosawa doesn't look that bad. Uh, of course, it's mid-90s pro wrestling, and he's from Japan, so... He says things like, and he chops the air randomly and shit like that. But the dude kind of looks like an anime character come to life or something like that. But I'm really digging his look and I'm not, I'm not being facetious. Ming is in his grandma's bathrobe and that's okay. 
to top off their presentation. Uh, the theme music that they come down to kind of sounds like the opening chase scene from Akira, where the the clowns, you know, if you haven't seen Akira, that's that whole thing's gonna be lost on you. So, so you should have just fast forwarded through me singing it. But it's it's too late to do that now because it already happened and whatever. <laughs> Their opponents tonight. <laughs> it's uh, obviously you know who it is, but allegedly, allegedly tonight, Road Warrior Hawk will be performing sober. Let's keep that in mind. His partner wearing lime green, a man known the world over, Steve or Sting. <laughs> Ming yells into the camera and then rushes to the baby faces and the bell rings. So, enough with context. We need order in the court for the case of Ming and Kurosawa versus Hawk and Sting. Keep in mind, fans, during the evidence portion, I will simply deliver to you evidence that I noticed while watching the match. It's evidence that stands out to me, and I will try to let you know via my inflection if it's a positive or negative occurrence. Hawk and Kurosawa start the match with some square dancing. They have to reverse uh, reverse Irish whip one another multiple times until Sting gets out of the way and they can actually do what they want to do. Hawk tosses Kurosawa. Then he bends his leg to hit Ming with a dropkick, but freezes mid-bend and decides, eh, I'm good. Sting hits a few punches on Ming and that rhymes. Then, Hawk commits fully and does indeed bend and spring forward and does a dropkick. But it's the tidiest dropkick I've ever seen. The vertical, it, I mean, Hornswoggle probably gets higher on the dropkick, if i got to be honest with you. Hawk follows up this uh, awesome dropkick with the most awkward and ill-timed high five that I have ever seen. Sting almost doesn't even realize that the Hawkster is going for a high five, but he does, and, and they do actually make hand-to-hand contact. But holy shit, Hawk in no position to even pull off a high five. That will be a continuing theme of this matchup. Uh, I did say he was allegedly sober. Sting leans forward with his hands on his knees as the heels regroup outside of the ring. Hawk looks over and sees that Sting has adopted this pose, and then copies him. (laughs) I know, folks, that in wrestling matches, sometimes one of the competitors has to lead the other competitor through the match, so it works out okay. But honestly, Hawk just mimicking his partner is one step too far. Uh, We slow things down now. An actual tag team match starts, so no more uh, Texas Tornado-style brawling. There's actual tags that are going to be made. It's Kurosawa and Hawk. Kurosawa goes for a lockup. Hawk swats it away. Not because it was the thing to do for his character, but literally the man Hawk just just didn't want to lock up. Kurosawa with some leg kicks now, like kicking Hawk's leg. I know saying leg kick might be a bit redundant if you're talking about what the person is doing, but Kurosawa is trying to kick Hawk in the leg. Hawk no-sells them. He no-sells like six of them. Then he attempts a big boot and almost falls over. Hawk now looks either even more drunk or really, really pissed. Single leg takedown by the Hawkster. 
And then, in a show of pure machismo and male-oriented dominance, Hawk headbutts the dick of Kurosawa. But you gotta wonder, if Hawk was trying to do this to be like, Well, I'm a man's man. I'm gonna hit you in the dick. It looks like, you know, he's going down to suck his dick. And I got no problem with some dick sucking between a couple of dudes. However, I gotta think that Hawk probably does. Which makes me wonder why he would do this. Oh well, though. Sting's in now and delivers more dick trauma to Kurosawa. It's seriously the sickest, most violent, inverted atomic drop I have ever seen. And that's not a joke or hyperbole. Kurosawa falls over after the impact, and then Kurosawa grabs his taint in pain. And folks, again, I'm not talking about Kurosawa the wrestler. Kurosawa the person is experiencing some taint drama. Later, Hawk takes a clothesline from Kurosawa and has trouble taking a decent-looking back bump. Ming is in now, and Hawk again decides to no-sell his opponent's offense. He no-sells some reverse knife-edge chops. Ming then goes for a third reverse knife-edge chop, and Hawk blocks it by putting his hands up like a little bitch, like he's afraid of it. I don't understand the Hawk character, folks. Uh, Kurosawa in now tosses Hawk out. Hawk can't even make that look good. Kurosawa then puts Hawk in a fireman's carry on the outside and just falls backwards onto the mats and concrete. And I hope that fucking hurt, Hawk, because you are single-handedly ruining this match. All four individuals are fighting on the floor now, and Hawk does indeed look concussed, so yay! Things straighten up a little bit, everybody gets inside, and a normal tag team match resumes. Hawk and Sting make a very legal tag in clear view of the referee, but they decide not to switch out and switch places and just keep going the way that things are. So yeah. Business exposing, I guess. Because the referee doesn't care. Like, it... uh... Ming whips Hawk into the ropes. Ming puts his head down. Hawk is supposed to kick Ming in the face, but he fucks up the kick and almost falls over. Hawk is clearly dazed and confused. Kurosawa in now and hits a vicious kick onto Hawk. However, somebody must have put a quarter into Hawk because he's suddenly no longer confused, no longer injured, and hits a big boot to Kurosawa. He got full power bar back from this quarter. Hawk then hits a very dangerous-looking power bomb on Kurosawa, and I'm starting to fear for this young man's life. Ming breaks up the pin. All four men in the ring now, with brawling and more brawling. More brawling now. Hawk tries to help Sting fight against Ming. Another rhyme. But both Sting and Ming yell at Hawk to go over and fight Kurosawa, exposing the business for all time. Hawk is your sports entertainer in peril, and it's not because he's in danger of a two-on-one confrontation. He's just lost as fuck. Hawk then holds Kurosawa in a suplex setup position. He doesn't hold him in a suplex position. He's just thinking, I might give him a suplex for like eight seconds. Then starts yelling at Sting because he doesn't remember what the fuck to do. No logic here as it's been uh, all four guys fighting in the ring for conservatively 90 to 120 seconds straight. Hawk 
then indicates he's going to raise the roof by putting his hands into the air, but it looks like he's actually signaling for the doomsday device. My God. Kurosawa, <laughs> I fear for you, my son. Um, thank God, though. Sting does lift Kurosawa, but he puts him in the heart attack position. So imagine Sting is Jim the Anvil Nightheart and Kurosawa is the victim. Okay, So it's not quite as dangerous as a doomsday device. Hawk does indeed go up top, and Sting sort of backs up, so Kurosawa and Hawk are face-to-face for this heart attack variant of the Doomsday device. Hawk steps forward off of the top rope, lands on the ring apron, and then clotheslines Kurosawa for the off-the-top-rope Doomsday device heart attack. One, two, three. Oh my god, thank you so much. It's over. So look, I don't know that I could sit here and be like, oh, this match could have been great. But I will admit that Sting and Ming aren't awful. I'm sure they could put on something decent together. And Kurosawa looked... I I don't know. I don't know how Kurosawa looked because nobody was giving this guy a chance. And I'm not saying that they should have, but it really stood out like a sore thumb. What the fuck is up with Hawk? Like, I don't actually think he's drunk. That was just a a sad attempt at humor because he's always drunk over on Kingfish. The cheap plug for the Aqua Cave. But after the match... I think, tells the tale of what's going on here. I think Hawk, the person, is pissed. Because right after the match is over, Kurosawa, and I'm doing the finger quotes thing here, breaks Hawk's arm. Like, that's what the storyline calls for. And I wonder if he was pissed that he had to do this spot, and he's decided to sandbag Kurosawa and attempt to make him look bad. Uh, The ridiculous... Referee not enforcing any logic or tag team rules also helps expose the business here, aside from the Hawk botches. Uh, But at the end of the day, I am fully ready to lay the blame for this encounter at the feet of the Hawkster. And I think it's probably pretty clear I am going to find this match very guilty. But again, the only person who's going to be penalized and taken to jail is going to be Hawk. The rest are getting off scot-free with a warning. Uh, Even though it is guilty, I could recommend this as a guilty pleasure if you're into botchamania type stuff. But, you know, at your own risk, that inverted atomic drop that caused the taint trauma might be worth a look. But, uh, you want to talk about looking? We're going to look no longer at 1995. It's in the rearview mirror. And you want to look at really awkward, shitty transitions? Just hit the rewind button on your podcast app. But we're going to move forward one year. To February 11th, 1996, for a show I actually watched live on pay-per-view, Super Brawl 6. This bad boy's also in Florida, like the Clash of the Champions. Uh, The Clash was in Daytona, but this one is in St. Petersburg. And when I say Super Brawl 6, you probably have an idea of what the match is in your head, Booker Man. But it's not that one. It is a match for the United States Championship as Conan defends his newly won title against the One Man Gang. Let's give you some context. According to Dave Penzer, this match is a return contest. Oh my god. The One Man Gang is representing the Dungeon of Doom. Yay. He's also looking skinnier than I've ever seen him before, so good for you, gang. Tony explains the return contest stipulation. I guess the last weekend on the main event show... The one-man gang lost the title to Conan. So, there you go. That explains that. And I understand that one-man gang is a monster. 
But why put a street thug with comic book style villains like the Dungeon of Doom? It just doesn't seem to really make sense. I guess you got the Hogan shit in there, but I don't know. They must be looking to save some time because Conan's entrance starts before the one-man gang even gets to the steps to climb into the ring. Conan emerges from the entranceway, the U.S. title hanging proudly over his shoulder. The man looks like he's trapped in a red and blue condom. I don't know how else to describe his outfit. He's a broke-ass version of Max Moon, to be sure. No one in the crowd gives a fuck. Conan is also billed as the Mexican heavyweight champion. With that in mind, I would like to declare myself the Ohio heavyweight champion. Because if we're just handing out arbitrary championships based on geolocation, why the fuck not? Conan debuted on the January 22nd Clash, and as I mentioned, it's only February 11th. And he's already the fucking U.S. champ. So I guess not bad. But that also helps explain the coldness of the crowd. As after all, this is a new character. Brief side note, the referee in charge of this contest, Willow Ufgood. Conan has removed his condom and will be doing battle tonight dressed as Wonder Woman. No, no, seriously, he, he will. So picture Wonder Woman. She has that corset-style body armor that she wears and the sort of battle skirt that she wears too. Conan just doesn't have the corset style armor, but he's absolutely rocking the battle skirt. And that's cool. I love Wonder Woman too. The bell rings, so order in the court for the case of Conan versus the one-man gang. The first minute of this match is just the one-man gang punching Conan from behind. That's really it. Uh, He hits clubbing blows one at a time, with about seven to eight second intervals in between, where he just kind of walks around and I guess catches his breath. Conan already selling like it's minute 56 of a one hour long Iron Man match. Conan uh, gets a little bit of offense. He hits the potato peeler leg drop, which is a variant of his potato peeler clothesline. And if you've never listened to my show, WCW Must Die, the potato peeler clothesline is that clothesline that Conan hits after he rolls forward for additional momentum. So this is just a dropkick version of that. A spin wheel kick to the one-man gang, and he's down. Conan runs toward this man like he's going to curb stomp him because he's in the perfect curb stomping position. He doesn't, though. He jumps over him, mounts the turnbuckle. I would have curb stomped him, but that's just me. Uh, He then (laughs) hits what can only be described as a missile drop kick. But it's definitely the oh shit, I slipped while doing the move variant. The one man gang is now up against the ropes by the entrance way. Conan sprints towards him and hits what can only be described as this isn't quite a spear. This isn't quite a crossbody block. I'm just going to run into you and we're both going to fall through the middle ropes gingerly and make sure we don't hit the steps because that would really hurt. It looks ridiculous, awful, and business-exposing. Conan, up on the apron, tries to hit a flipping senton, but he doesn't fully commit to the flip, and it just looks weird. The one-man gang back inside is on offense, yet again. His offense can be described rather easily. Kick! Walk around. Yell for the audience. Choke. Break. Walk around. Yell at the audience. I'm literally almost asleep. Suddenly, Dusty Rhodes yells, Fifth Diem! 
What? <laughs> he yells, fist him in the head. And if my Dusty Rhodes impression is bad, I'll say it again in normal English. Fist him. Fist him in the head. Unfortunately, it's just a euphemism for throwing a punch. So no fisting in this match, which would have been a first. So good for you. One man gang now with an inverted mouth stretch. We then cut to a unique looking gentleman at ringside. Dusty Rhodes, of all people, is put off by this man's sudden appearance and audibly yells, Whoa! It is WCW Motorsports driver Steve Grissom. Just Google the guy if you want to. Bobby indicates, Oh yeah, I recognize this man! I saw him pulled over earlier by the building with a busted tail light! Suddenly, Conan feels the power of the Amazons and unleashes palm strikes that look goofy as shit. He transitions to a Texas Tornado discus punch. Conan up top hits a super sloppy head scissors. Conan then hits two shitty drop kicks. He goes for a third, but he jumps early. He's not even close to the one-man gang, and gravity dictates he falls straight down and lands on his own head. Tony Schiavone in the call. How about that? One-man gang with the 747. One, two, no. The one-man gang picks Conan up off the mat and lays him back down. The one-man gang goes up to the middle rope for a middle rope 747. Conan rolls out of the way. One-man gang still perched on the second rope. He jumps. He lands on his feet. Then leans forward for a 747 and misses... (laughs) Keep in mind, folks, Conan rolled out of the way when the one gang was still on the middle turnbuckle. I, I don't even fucking know. Conan goes up top, hits another flipping senton. One, two, three. Oh, thank God. Another match found easily guilty, guilty, guilty. I will again cop to the fact that some of the botches were comical, but getting to them was quite a laborious task. Like, it was when the one-man gang was on offense. Yikes. Put me to sleep, as mentioned. Serious question. How did Conan stay employed for so long? I don't think I have ever seen a Conan match that wasn't at least a little bit sloppy. And no, that's not a salad-tossing joke. I'm, I'm dead serious. What the fuck is up with Conan? Is there a good Conan match that isn't, like... In Mexico with Ray and Hoovy or something. And that's and that's fine. Like that that stuff matters too. Do not get me wrong. But can someone point to a WCW Conan match and be like, hey, this is a good Conan match? Because I, I would love to see it. Because Conan is athletic. Like I get it. He's just so sloppy. Oh well. Oh no, en- en- enough of Super Brawl 6. We're gonna move forward one more year in WCW history, and I guess real history, to Slambury 1997, May 18th, 1997, to be a little more precise, in Charlotte, woo, North Carolina, for the case of the first ever battle between Super Bowl champions match, according to Dave Penzer. How did they get away with using the term Super Bowl? I mean, if you're a Fortune 500 company, and you pay millions of dollars to advertise during the Super Bowl, and you decide to post your commercial on YouTube, 
You can't even put the word Super Bowl in your video title. You gotta use the phrase big game. Holy shit. I I just said I just said so could I get no, I'm not gonna get sued. Let's let you know what? Take two. For the case of the first ever battle between big game champions match. Use take two. It's Steve Mongo McMichael versus Reggie White. Oh, fuck me sideways. Uh, Let's get some context. Steve Mongo McMichael is, of course, a charter member of the Four Horsemen. Reggie White is an NFL athlete. And both are members of Lawrence Taylor's All-Pro Team. So good for you guys. And it is indeed the semi-main event of the evening. Mongo comes down the aisle with Deborah, the queen of WCW, and his Halliburton baby. Mongo walks very slowly. Positive side effect of this, we get to hear the Four Horsemen theme in all its glory. We even get to the really cool part of the song where it has the breakdown. You know what I'm talking about. Lots of Four Horsemen fans in the audience. Obviously, we're in Charlotte. Uh, making me think Mongo's going to be the babyface here, right? Which is obviously not the intent, but I think it's going to be a side effect. We'll see if that happens. Reggie White then emerges from the back with, I don't know, create a wrestler number six theme song. It's just generic WCW guitar riffs. And he's definitely wearing a knockoff, not official, number 92 Green Bay Packers jersey. It does say WCW on it, so I guess the intent is clear. His uh, strength coach is with him. Kind of looks like a tiny Ken Shamrock. And he has a shirt on that says, Dominate Football. Very well, I will attempt to in the future. Reggie White enters the ring and nearly trips, so that's fun. Mongo throws up his allegiance to the four horsemen. The crowd approves. The bell rings, so order in the court. For the case of Steve Mongo McMichael versus Reggie White. Center ring and we have a lockup. Reggie White shakes his head side to side, indicating he's pushing back against Mongo's strength. However, Mongo is not selling that he is pushing. He's in the lockup, standing perfectly still. Uh, has anyone has anyone ever exposed the business in their first wrestling move? A- and if they have, was that a lockup? History has been made here on Starman! And it's not the last piece of history to be made. Reggie pushes Mongo away and celebrates. Referee Mark Curtis makes multiple shoving motions with his hands. Perhaps he's providing commentary for the uh, audio impaired that are without subtitles? I can see that. Another lockup. Mongo with armbar. He pushes Reggie White away quite hard. Mongo, I'm learning now, must be in the room when Jeff Jarrett fucks Deborah because he's picked up some of Jarrett's favorite taunts. Because Mongo goes to the old I use my brain taunt to indicate his superior willpower over Reggie White. He then hits some early match jumping jacks. Because why not? Calisthenics are indeed important. Mongo now with a headlock. I bet you that hurts, he yells. My God, I've just realized that Mongo will not only be calling this match, but also leading Reggie White through it. If Mongo is the veteran in the ring, 
it may spell disaster. If Mongo is the veteran in the ring with a non-wrestler, it may spell Starman Classic. Mongo headlocks Reggie White into the ropes. Okay. The two athletes shoulder block. Nobody moves. They do the spot again. Nobody moves. This ain't exactly the Royal Rumble 1990, however. We're dealing with about one one-hundredth the charisma and intensity of Warrior Hogan. They do the headlock collision spot again. Someone kill me. Wait. This time, after the collision, Mongo does a hilarious delayed flare flop. So, okay, hold off on the execution. I'm actually somewhat amused by that maneuver. Mongo center ring now. He draws a makeshift line of scrimmage in the sand with his boot. Referee Mark Curtis gives a ringing endorsement to Impact Wrestling as he crosses the line of scrimmage, walks into the corner, and takes a knee. (laughs) I'm not sure why. I'm not sure what he's waiting for, but I thought it was worth noting. The two sportsmen line up against this imaginary line of scrimmage, and they get in the three-point stance position. Mongo stands and backs away, though, needing to stall. Referee Mark Curtis back up on both feet now. He points at the line of scrimmage and verbally admonishes Mongo. Is this some sort of rule infraction? I'm not trying to be mean to referee Mark Curtis, okay? I love his over-the-top style, but come on. Like, what? What is this? Like, if you draw, the rule book clearly states, you draw a line of the sand against a football player, you get down to a football stance, you stand up, that's a rule infraction. Huh. Back in the stance now, and they engage. Mongo goes lows to the knees, and Reggie Wright does a front flip off of the impact. Okay, not bad, Reggie. Mongo again praises his own uh, willpower by pointing to his brain. The crowd is not only into this, God love them, they're into Mongo too. He then takes a bow. Why not? It's a hell of a performance, I guess. He then leans against the corner like he's goddamn Shawn Michaels, and Reggie White just stumbles around the ring in pain. He then goes over to the corner to confer with his strength and conditioning coach. Again, why not? No need to worry about the fact that Mongo's standing there watching my every move and my back is now turned to him. But we press forward. His, uh, his coach's advice? Well, use your boot and draw your own line of scrimmage in the sand. Folks, I don't mind telling you, the Reggie abides and does just that. Oh, I'll tell you what, we're seeing is the wheel to compete. The wheel to compete in Reggie White. Yes, Dusty, that's what I see as well. The two athletes line up yet again. They strike. Mongo goes low again. Shocker. Reggie has learned from the previous encounter and leapfrogs over Mongo. At this point, momentum dictates that Mongo must move forward. And he does, and fucks the turnbuckle pad with his mouth. A stiff clothesline by Reggie White sends Mongo to the outside. Now fans, when I say stiff clothesline, I'm not actually saying a clothesline that actually hurt, okay? I mean that Reggie White extended his arm. He made it stiff. And then, through a clothesline, 
by touching Mongo with his outstretched, stiff arm. No movement to the arm. No swinging of the arm. Just touching in a stiff into position. <laughs> Mongo has had enough of this. I've had it up to here with these antics. And he goes towards the locker room. Dusty Rhodes starts yelling, Oh, there's a rumble! There is a rumble a-coming! The rumble is a large man in a kangol hat. Mongo, unamused, swings the Halliburton. This man ducks, and Fireman carries Mongo back to the ring. Uh, this man is apparently nose tackle Gilbert Brown. Yay. <laughs> Reggie White then hits a goddamn dropkick. And you know what? It doesn't look great, but he has an unbelievable vertical, so it comes across more good than bad. So thanks, Reggie. One, two, no. We then are given a Mongo chant by Charlotte. Mongo, again, goes back to Starman favorite, Armbar. Mongo then yells at Reggie White, Jesus may have your soul, baby, but I got your ass now. Reggie White hears this and legit hoofs. You know what I'm talking about? The Hulk Hogan hoof. You know, when Hulk Hogan is like in the middle of a match and he's like, oof. So Reggie White stops selling the pain. He locks eyes with Mongo like, ooh, now you've done it. You talked about the Lord. That, that's basically what the hoof is, except we call it the hoof because when Hogan does it, he makes a noise like, oof, and he puffs out his lips. <laughs> Folks, did you ever think you'd listen to a podcast that would give you the definition of oof? Anywho, Reggie's big counter to this uh, slight against his god is another stiff clothesline. Uh, see earlier for the definition of stiff. Mongo then walks around. A headlock initiated by Reggie White. Reggie White, with Mongo in the headlock, does a little shimmy. It makes the women here in Cleveland puke. Referee Mark Curtis then tries to give instructions to Reggie White. Reggie White legitimately lets go of the headlock and walks over to the referee like, wait, what'd you say? <laughs> and Mongo clips him. Seriously, at this point, I'm with Charlotte. I'm Team Mongo too because Reggie White is a fucking idiot. Mongo now stands over Reggie White and grabs the leg. Referee Mark Curtis goes down. One, two, no, Reggie kicks out at two. Now fans, I have never seen this. Mongo is indeed standing above a fallen Reggie White and does indeed hold his leg. But if this is a pin count, uh, or pin attempt, you're telling me that all those times that a wrestler holds the leg and looks to the crowd for approval before they do like the figure four or a low blow, you're telling me that that is a legal pinning predicament? Okay, all right, no, I'm, I'm, I'm going to hold you to that, Mark Curtis. Um... What the, what the fuck? I lost my spot. Oh, yeah. Mongo goes into the ropes and hits a leg drop. Reggie White rolls out of the way. So everyone is just blatantly stealing from Hulk Hogan now. Well, okay. If you're going to steal, you might as well steal from the best. <laughs> Reggie White then hits a crossbody block. His his knee's totally fine now, by the way. So, so don't worry about that. His transition into a trapezius nerve hold is noted by Tony Schiavone. When he yells, Trapezius nerve hold! Uh, Mongo's counter, Old Glory Mule Kick. <laughs> Reggie White is in serious dick pain. 
Mongo then decides, fuck it, the camera's in front of me, I'm going to spike it. And he yells, you going to church? I hear those church bells ringing now, baby. Reggie White eventually fights back, but Mongo gets him down and calls for the figure four. It should be noted, referee Mark Curtis does not go down to count. Reggie White counters by kicking Mongo in the ass, and Mongo falls outside the ring. Mongo, back in. Some more wrestling, I guess. Mongo goes up top, and Reggie White press slams him off the top. Reggie then leans into the corner to catch his wind, and slowly slides down into a sitting position. Now he's just fucking having himself a Sunday, just just chilling, sitting there in the corner. I guess that's his way of selling leg pain. Eventually, he stands up, and we get some more stiff clotheslines. Reggie then looks to the crowd for approval. He gets none. Another stiff clothesline sends Mongo outside. Mongo pulls Reggie out, and folks, we've got a Pier 2 brawl. Reggie throws Mongo into the security rail. Then he tosses Mongo inside. Mongo decides, I'm no longer hurt, and attacks Reggie as he slides in, uh, no longer selling the pain from the uh, security rail. He goes to suplex Reggie White. Reggie White counters the suplex attempt with his own suplex. Bobby Heenan is all fired up on commentary, proclaiming that based on the earlier dropkick and this suplex, Reggie White could be a potential future world champion. Now, I can't hold this against Bobby. I guess that's vague enough that you could say that about literally anyone. I mean, everyone has the potential to perhaps be a future world champion. They just have to be an athlete and then decide to go into professional wrestling and and get booked to do so. But I guess anything's possible. Mongo's now on the mat. Reggie White runs toward him. He gets right above him. He stops his run. He jumps vertically into the air. He lands. He jumps into the air again and turns this second jump into an Ultimate Warrior big splash. He goes for the count, but Deborah is discussing potential investment strategies with referee Mark Curtis. Reggie decides, fuck it, I'll count my own three count, a la the Junkyard Dog at the Wrestling Classic. The judge at ringside, however, does not give thumbs up. He must not have seen this because it doesn't count. Mongo now has the Halliburton, but Gilbert Grape takes it from him. Or whatever Gilbert's name was. Referee Mark Curtis is now admonishing Gilbert, and the briefcase falls to the floor outside the ring. Where is Reggie White in all of this, you might be asking? Well, apparently, Deborah is having problems with her shoe because she's laying in the corner, pointing to her foot. And Reggie White, the genius that we've established, is trying to assist her. In order to explain this in my own brain, I'm just assuming he has a foot fetish and he's really getting his rocks off touching those tootsies. Jeff Jarrett here now. He tosses the Halliburton to Mongo. Mongo smacks Reggie White in the skull. One, two, three. Oh, thank God. Thank God it's over. Fifteen minutes. They gave these fuckers fifteen minutes. Unbelievable. I'm simultaneously appalled and gobsmacked. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, uh, I've reached a verdict. And I have a special announcement to make as well. Here is your winner. And new 
worst match we've ever covered on Starman, Mongo versus Reggie. That's right, folks. Not only is this match guilty, it has usurped and dethroned Hogan and Savage in the cage from Uncensored as the absolute worst match we've covered on Starman. Now look, I will freely admit, Hogan and Macho was the main event. It was it was bad. It's a cage match and it didn't have a finish. This football encounter does have mild entertainment value, but I just can't. I, I could I could never watch this again. This is a watch it once, if you laugh, you laugh, and then you've got to move on with your life. I, I'm sorry. I couldn't even justify watching this over and over for entertainment value and kitschiness. So, ladies and gentlemen, I, it is official. Mongo, Reggie, you've taken your place in history here on Starman. And speaking of history, well... That's going to make this episode of Starman history. Hey, I think I made up for that shitty earlier transition I had earlier. So, yes. (laughs) Um, But as always, thank you so much for checking out any content you do here in the Aqua Cave. Please remember to subscribe to the channel. That way you get notified whenever new content drops. And we will continue our journey towards these negative star matches as we move forward. I'm Johnny C., And a winner is you.